If you have your Bible this morning and you would, find 2 Samuel chapter uh, 5, and if you would also, find Romans chapter 15. But before we start today, I need to apologize. Last week, as I was reading that list of names from verse 14, I said something along the lines like, aren't you glad your mom didn't name you that? As you can read there, there's Shamamua, Shobad, Ibahar, Elishu, Nepheg, Naphi, Elishma, Eliada, and Eliphathet. So if your name is one of those, I am sorry. But to the other two names on that list, Nathan and Solomon, those are pretty good names. Solomon and... Uh, so I am sorry for questioning your mother's wisdom. <laughs> but uh, anyway, as always, I make mistakes, and uh, sometimes I'm big enough to admit them. But uh, again, I'm glad that you are here today. If you found 2 Samuel chapter 5, we are still looking at the life of David. And today I want to talk to you about what does victory look like. Most of us have been in enough events, whether sporting or scholastic, I was never in scholastic, but sports sometimes, that you usually can find out who the winner is and who the loser is. If you score more points, um, you win. If you uh, run faster, you win. And I still believe that you ought to celebrate winning and be there for losing, but it still matters. Um, but in some areas of life, it's not that simple. What does victory look like when you're struggling with a child who has addiction? What does victory look like when you're in a marriage that is falling apart? What does victory look like when you go to work and all that you can think about is how much you hate this place and the people you work with? Sometimes victory is you left that place and didn't hurt somebody. Some days it's, hey, we've stuck it out one more day. Some days it's, hey, I'm not going to give up on that prodigal child no matter how far they've fallen. Victory looks different. And so today I want to show you what victory looks like in this situation. But I really want to spend time showing you the God who wins the victory. Because I really do believe there are some of you here today that don't believe there's any possible way that the situation you're facing can end in victory. There's no way that God can do certain things because how hopeless it seems. And if you've been watching the news lately, you've probably been watching about the war in Ukraine. And a phrase they keep using is, what will victory look like? Will victory be Russia taking over the whole country, setting up a puppet government? Will victory be that Ukraine pushes them all the way back to the Russian border? Will victory be that Russia takes half the country and sets up a puppet government? Victory looks different no matter who you talk to. But today I want you to know that all of us have challenges. All of us have struggles. Sometimes those struggles and challenges are internal, right? The fears and the doubts and the sins that we have that no one else knows about are the greatest challenge that we face. Some of us can be our own worst enemies. We see problems that aren't there. We worry about things that really don't matter. We make mountains out of mohills. Some of us, it's not so much ourselves, but it's the relationships that we have. The person that we love has got great challenges. The people that we trust break that trust. We have struggles at church, at work. Everywhere you go and people are involved, there will be challenges and difficulties. 
And so how do we handle those? And I want to read a verse from Romans to you today because sometimes people will ask me, Jake, I am so tired of going verse by verse through the Old Testament, right? Get to the good stuff. Well, we're in Matthew on Sunday nights. I'd love to invite you back tonight for some New Testament preaching. But Romans 15 tells us why the Scriptures matter. And in Romans 15, the Bible says this, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. You see, many times we read the Old Testament and we think, well, David's the hero of this story. Or Joseph is the hero of this story. Or Elijah is the hero of the story. But yet the Bible says Elijah was a man with the same nature as us. The same struggle with sin, the same struggle with discouragement. The hero of the Bible is always God. The hero of the Old Testament is the fact that Jesus is going to come and die on a cross for your sins and mine. The hero of the New Testament is Jesus conquering sin and death and the grave. The hero of the future is the fact that Jesus is coming back again. And so the Old Testament is there for you and I to see the struggles that people had, the challenges that they faced, the overwhelming odds that they battled, but yet the fact that God is a God of victory, a God who delivers and shows up for His people. And so if you would today, stand with me. We're just going to read the first two verses of 2 Samuel chapter 5, and then we will begin to pray. Starting in verse 17, these two verses. Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephim. Pray with me. Father, today I thank you for your word. I thank you for the privilege of being together with your people. I pray today, Lord, that you would bless those who are here, those who wanted to be here. Lord, I pray that you'd bless those who didn't want to be here but are. God, I just pray that you would speak and work and move today to make much of Jesus in him alone. And God, I just ask that you'd forgive me of my sin, my shortcomings, and my failures. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you're taking notes, and I really do hope that you will, please write down, everyone will face challenges. If you're familiar with David's life, David had been ran out of his home. His wife was given to another man. He lived in a cave. He lived with the Philistines. All of these times, David has struggles. And you would think, after watching all the struggles that David had been with, you'd think, at some point, this guy's got to get a break. Right, He's finally king over everything in Israel. Now's got to be the time when all of his problems, all of his struggles, all of his heartbreaks are gone. He's got all the wealth. He's got all the power. He's got all the land. He's got everything you need to have it all. But yet the very first thing we read, now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. What that means is when David was blessed and David was elevated, that his enemies all pursued him. All of them realized this man has to be stopped. And this morning I want you to hear that because sometimes we think that if I can just get enough money, if I can just get a promotion, if I could just get a better spouse, if I could just get a better job, the challenges of life would stop. 
If I could change my circumstances, the challenges that I face would fall away. But what we see here is no matter if you are living in a cave or a castle, if you are a fugitive or you are first on the throne, problems and challenges and difficulties are a part of life. They are a part of everything that we do. And so what do we do to experience victory? How do we live in such a way that God can work in my most difficult moments, the greatest heartbreaks of life, the moments that I feel like a failure and that there is no value in who I am? So they all come to search for David. And it says there that they spread out in the valley of Rephim. What they were doing was trying to impress them with the magnitude of their troop. If you ever looked out over a field and saw a, which I'm not old enough for Woodstock, neither are none of you, I know that, you know, but, right, you looked out over the pictures of fields just full of people. Or you look out at a Billy Graham, who say was probably a better reference than Woodstock, but <laughs> at the multitude of people, you all smiled more at the first one, so I don't know what's up with that. But, uh, and this, the fact that it was overwhelming. They were trying to remind David that the last time the Philistines came and went to war against Israel, Israel took an old-fashioned whipping. If you remember, 1 Samuel ended with them fighting the Philistines and Saul died. Saul's children died. The army fled and hid and ran and the territory was overtaken. And so that army that had just whipped up on them just a few years earlier shows up on their doorstep trying to show David that here we are and this is what's going to happen. And friends, that's how Satan works. Satan tries to convince you that your past failures, your past sins, your past mistakes, the mountains that you couldn't overcome, that's what defines who you are. And this morning you need to know that whatever thing you are most embarrassed of, whatever sin that you are most ashamed of, and I've got lots of them before I came to know the Lord, that I am terrified of people finding out, that I'm humiliated when they bring them up, but I have to remind myself that that is not who I am anymore. That's not who I am in God's eyes. That's not what defines me as a person. I have something that the world does not have, and that's hope. And Jesus said that in John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me, in Jesus, that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see, sometimes we put our hope in the, the treasures that we have. But friends, no matter what you accumulate for yourself on this earth, it is nothing compared to the treasures of heaven. Sometimes we put our hope in relationships, that if I can just find someone that will love me, if I can just find the right friends, if I can just find a, a place where I belong. But friends, heaven is the only place where relationships are perfect where people will love you without any other reason. They won't manipulate you. They won't take advantage of you. They will love you genuinely because of Jesus and who we are. You say, well, Jake, my health, I'll get healthier. I can find happiness if I can lift a certain amount of weight or I can run so many miles or, or, or I can just, you know, if I can accumulate that. But friends, the only time you're going to have a perfect body is when you get to heaven. and You've got a body that never wears out, never grows old, never experiences the things of this world. But this morning I want you to know that everyone has challenges. But the second thing I want to show you is everyone responds to challenges. 
You say, not me, Jake. I don't acknowledge there are problems in my home. I don't acknowledge there are problems with my kids. I don't acknowledge that there are problems, period. That's a response. Denial is a response. And so this morning you might be saying, there's no problem in our marriage. Not at all. We're fine. We're good. You might be saying, no, my kids are good. There's no problem. But friends, that's a response. Sometimes we don't deny. Sometimes we overreact. Right? We let little things cause us to explode and, and to divide and tear apart. But what does God want us to do when the challenges of your life, whether they're internally or externally, happen? Look what David did in verse 19. So David inquired of the Lord. He went to the Lord in prayer. He said, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want us to do? The enemy has whipped us before. They've taken, taken us down before. How do we handle this? And this morning, that's what God wants from you this morning, for you to approach Him in prayer. And He just asked the question, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. David's probably thinking, You know what happened to the last king that went up against the Philistines? You know what happened to the last children of the king who went up against the Philistines? He's saying, Is that going to be my fate? Am I going to die before I get to enjoy being king? And God says, you go, and you fight, and you trust. And this morning, today, I want you to hear this, that God does not give us the privilege of prayer because He doesn't know what you need. The Bible says God knows what you need before you ask. You and I have the privilege of praying because of what it does for us. The, the, the privilege it is to fellowship with God. The privilege it is to know that the God who hung the stars in the sky told the ocean it could only go so far, who put the sun at just the right distance that we don't freeze or burn up, wants to hear from you. And prayer is one of those things that when God works and moves in your life, it encourages you. Because you say, God answered this prayer. God was there for me in my time of need. God did this. God has done that. And it's not because of the things that he does. And it's not because we treat him like Santa because we get everything that we need. But we know that there is a God who can. There is a God who can handle every situation that I face. And that's what David did. Philippians, the fourth chapter, describes it like this. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, there that peace is again, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now I want to stop here. Because David, if you remember in the last chapter, after he had been made king, after his enemies had been defeated, do you remember what he did? He started shacking up with whoever would shack up with him. Starts having multiple kids, multiple women. And in his moment of victory, he falters. But when the difficulty comes, where's the one place that David ran? Back to the Lord. You see, David's failure didn't define who he was. But his failure also didn't keep God from hearing him. And don't miss that. Satan will try to convince you that your prayers don't matter because you're too sinful. Your prayers don't matter because God's too busy. God's got bigger things to handle than your situation. But I want you to hear this. What you need to realize is many times we're asking for things that aren't really what we need. Most of us have no problems praying for other people and their problems toward us. But I want you to hear this this morning. Sometimes God needs us just to come to Him and say, God, I'm the problem. 
Lord, I'm the one that's got the unforgiveness in my heart. God, I'm the one that's got the pride in my life. God, I'm the one that's struggling with sin. And before we pray for everything else, we need to get along with God and say, God, I need you. I need you to work in my heart. God, I need you to forgive me of my sin. God, I need you to save me from my sin before I ask all of these other things. It's easy to pray for other people. It's easy to pray for other situations. But when the Spirit of God begins to kick Vic, you and me, Jake, you're the problem. Jake, that was not the thought. That was not the word. That was not the, the way that it should go. And I have to get along with God and say, Lord, I'm, I've sinned. I've fallen short. And so this morning, whether you are asking for an external struggle or an internal struggle, know that God loves you and wants to hear from you. But also, not only does everyone face challenges and everybody responds, certainly, in some way. Third thing I hope that you'll take notes of this morning is that God can give you victory over your challenges. God can give you victory over your challenges. Look what it says in verse 20 and 21. So David went to Baal Perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore he called the name of that place Baal Perazim. And they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. He says what happens is they defeated him like a water breaking out of a dam. And if you've ever seen that and what it looks like when it busts forth, it consumes everything in the valley. David says we have annihilated them. God has defeated them. God has delivered them into our hands. But don't miss the significance of what they captured. If you remember when Saul was killed, they took Saul and the spoils of his defeat and sent it to all the pagan temples in the lands of the Philistines. And they honored and said, look what our gods have done. If you remember when they steal the Ark of the Covenant and the Philistines had it for a season, then eventually God brings the Ark back, which we're going to look at next week. And in this case, they capture the idols of the Philistines. And if you have a King James Bible, it probably says they burnt them. What happens is they took them and they burnt them down and got rid of them. But I want you to see the significance of this. The world will tell you that the idols of this life are what is important. You will see people who think that this matters and that matters, and for a season there are no consequences. We see people who blaspheme God, who abandon the church, who abandon the things of God, but yet they seem just as blessed or more blessed than the rest. But friends, what we see here is that God will not be mocked. God is gracious and merciful, and He will let people wander, and He will let people go, and He will, he will convict them and draw them gently. But friends, there is coming a day when every saved person who is wandering from God, God will do whatever it takes to bring them back. You say, Jake, why am I going through some of the tragedies and difficulties of my life? There just could be something in your life that you love more than Jesus. And if, it's, if you're truly a believer, God might let you live that way for a season, but at some point God is going to tear those idols down. Now most of us have been in church long enough to say, well, hey, I ain't got no statues of idols in my house. I don't have no silver gold statues that I worship or pray to. I don't have any idols like that. No, we're long past that as believers. We know that's a sin. We know the Bible says make no graven images. Right? We shouldn't be 
purchasing things and having things that, that make something an idol that we pray to other than Jesus. The Bible teaches that. But our idols look different. Our idols can be church. Our idols can be our spouses. Our idols can be our families. Our idols can be our wealth. Our idols can be our reputation. And so what happens is we build idols out of anything that we love more than Jesus. You say, Jake, it's not possible to love Jesus more than anything or anyone. It absolutely is if you know him. If he first loved you, you will love him. And so when people say, Jake, I have a hard time loving Jesus, it's because you've never let him love you. You don't really know him as the Lord and Savior of your life. Because when he loves you and changes you, you love him. Because everything you have is because of him. Every blessing, every good and perfect gift. But I want you to see here that God gives the victory over the enemy and the idols. In the book of Deuteronomy, the nation of Israel would say this when they would go out to battle. You say, Jake, we're not going out to battle. Not a physical battle, but the Bible teaches we are in a spiritual battle. Spiritual warfare. And I want to hear what these words were said to them because I want to give you courage this morning. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. And do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is He who goes with you and fights for you against your enemies to save you. You see, the greatest enemy that we ever faced was sin and death. And Jesus stepped out of heaven, lived a perfect life, and died upon the cross and was buried and rose again. So that you and I, when we repent of our sins and call on Him as the Lord and Savior of our life, we can be forgiven. We can have eternal life. And so people will tell me from time to time, Jake, I believe you can go to church enough and that gets you to heaven. Or I believe you can be a good person and go to heaven. Or Jake, I don't know if I believe in a God at all, but you know, if, if I get there, if, great. If I don't, great. No. The Bible teaches that sin deserves punishment and that sin separates us from God. And the only way to make that relationship right, to overcome that challenge, to overcome that difficulty, is by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's why he says he is the way, the truth, the life. He is the only one who could conquer what we struggled with, and that was separation from God. And the fourth and final thing this morning, I know I don't usually have four points, but they've been short. God never becomes weak, I spelt weak wrong. It's, no one else noticed it apparently or said it. Or weary, not like a week, weak, W-E-A-K. Thanks upstairs, catching that for me, no. God doesn't become weak or weary during your challenges. I don't know if you've ever felt this way or not, but you probably went through seasons of your life where you felt like you were life's punching bag over and over again. You get a diagnosis from a doctor, it's cancer. You get a call from a family member, it's a loss of a loved one. You get a call from your kids saying they can't get along. You get a call from your place of employment and you've been laid off. And you literally feel like you are the punching bag. But today I want you to know something. Even though you might grow weary, people might grow weary with you. God does not. Because even though God gives them the victory and the Philistines flee, guess what happens? They regroup and return. 
And most of us would say, well, we've already fought them once. We're not going to mess with it again. But listen to how the cycle repeats itself. Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephim. David's facing a challenge again. How does he respond? Therefore David inquired of the Lord, and he said, You shall not go up. Wait a second. Not go up? We just gave him an old-fashioned weapon. We ought to march right back out there and show him who's boss. But don't miss this. Circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him. And he drove back the Philistines from Gebar as far as Gezer. And you say, wait a second, I don't understand this. What it shows us here is this. When we think of Jesus, we always think of the suffering servant. The one who was born of a virgin, lived a simple life, who had no earthly fame and recognition, who was crucified and beaten, died and rose again. But friends, the Bible teaches God is not just a suffering sacrifice, but He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is the commander of the armies of heaven. And what we see here is this. God says, I am going to send the armies of heaven. You just stand back and watch. I'm going to fight for you this time. And I'm going to show you who I am. And friends, I can't imagine what that was like. It doesn't say the rustling of the trees. It says the marching in the trees. I can't imagine what that would have been like. I can't even comprehend it. But what God was showing them is this. Before you face a battle, He is already there. And before you know the need that you are going to face, He is already able to meet it. And today I'm guessing you're not being surrounded by an army of pagans to take your life. But I can promise you that the challenges you face, you've probably faced before. You've probably struggled with the same sin, the same hurt, the same brokenness. And if you're like me, you probably think sometimes when you pray, Lord, it's me again, asking for the same old thing. If you just help that stiff-necked and stubborn group of Baptists that are in town, right? Not us, but them other ones. Or God, you know my family members that are lost, and I pray and I pray and I pray. God, I know you've got to be getting sick of it. Or God, if you could just help me keep my mouth shut to not put my foot in it and down my throat. God, I would appreciate all the help you could give me. I've asked and asked and asked. Maybe you've been asking God over and over again to bring home a prodigal, a child that you watched be raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Maybe you've prayed and prayed and prayed for God to heal a sick person. And it's easy sometimes to think, God, you've got to be tired of hearing from me. Or God, you've handled so many problems and so many things. Friends, God does not grow weak and God does not grow weary. Keep asking. And I believe the significance of this verse is this. God could have destroyed them all in one swipe. But as doing it again, he shows that he is faithful 
every time. That God is faithful every time. Sometimes that is a yes. Sometimes that is a no. Sometimes that is wait. Because God knows what you need. A few months ago I was in the hospital with a family and the gentleman was at the end of his life. He was having terrible health problems. And as I sit with him in his room, he says, Jake, just pray that the Lord would take me home. I'm ready to go. I don't want to wait. He said, I hate to leave my family. But he said, I'm ready and I want to go. As I leave the room and go to the waiting room and sit with him, I ask them how I can pray for them. And you know what their one request was? Just help him to get better. We, we just can't lose him yet. And at a time like that, the Jacob, he says, well, I'll pray God's will. That'll cover both of you. But I want you to see this. God knows what's best in that situation where Jacob Gray doesn't. God knows what's best when he removes people from your life who you might not think be a problem, but yet might down the road would have hurt you desperately. Maybe God's moving you out of people's lives because he knows how you're going to hurt them in the future. Maybe you don't know why God brought someone in your life today that's causing all kinds of problems, but you don't know who God might make them to be in the future. And so we trust that God is faithful every time. And so this morning, if you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, I want you to know something, that you are missing the greatest blessing that you could ever have. A God who loves you, cares about you, and died for you, and knows what you need before you even ask Him. And so today, I want you to know that He wants you to be saved. And the Bible says that if you will call upon His name, you will be saved. But I also want you to know that I'm guessing there are a whole lot of saved people in this room today that have got challenges, even if you won't admit it. I'm the first one, like literally. I bought these suit pants this week with the intent of losing more weight. But when I got in the truck today, I thought I was going to rip them down the back. I literally thought I would be up here going, fat guy in a little coat. I thought, Jake, don't do nothing too crazy because if I go like this, it's going all the way down. And ain't nobody want to see that. Amen. Thank you. It's all amen I can get, but whatever, I'll take what I can get. But friends, I want you to know that God knows the challenges that you face. And even if you won't admit them, God knows them. But friends, if you would just bring them to God, just bring them and lay them at the King of kings and Lord of lords' feet. We have a high priest who sympathizes with us in every way. The Lord can handle it. The Lord is able. And so today, whether it's a sin, whether it's a hurt, whether it's a relationship, today God is able. And so don't forget, everyone has problems and challenges. Everyone's going to respond, even if it means ignoring it until it destroys you. But remember that God can give you the victory and he's not grown weary or weak. There are three things about God you need to know. One, he is omniscient. He knows everything. Everything you've ever thought and felt, he knows it. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. He's a God that's big enough to be in every hole or every hilltop. But he's also omnipotent. It means he's all-powerful. He can do and meet any 
need that we have. And so when you feel that you're too small, God is there. When you feel like you're too ashamed to ask, God knows it. And when you feel like it's too big for God to fix it, He is able. And if you'll approach Him that way, I believe God will do great things in your life, in your family's life, and in this church. Pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you so very, very much for who you are. God, I thank you for your word and just its truth and its clarity and God, that it's timely in every situation. God, I do pray especially this morning for anyone in this place that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, that church attendance, that baptism, that whatever it is is not enough, but a personal relationship with you. Father, I pray that you convict them. God, show them that we will celebrate with them, that we will rejoice with them, no matter the age, no matter the situation, as all of heaven rejoices when one sinner is saved. Father, I pray for this congregation full of people who know you and love you, but God, who are struggling, who are, who are carrying things that they shouldn't have to carry. God, that today they would be able to come and lay it down, fully and totally trusting you. Father, I pray for the people who won't admit the problems in our lives today, God, myself included, that we would come honestly and openly to you. Father, I pray for the people who you have delivered through the challenges that they would come and just be thankful today. And God, whatever other need is going on, I pray today, God, that you'd help us to be a church that knows the challenges, that brings the challenges to you. And God, trust you to win the victory. God, we pray for victories in every area of people's lives today. And God, it's all because of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross and by coming out of that tomb. So God, in this time we have together, take over, do what only you can do, change lives. God, we'll give you all the glory and the praise. And we ask it in Jesus' name.